0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is back in the building. We're gonna talk about the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, a few different uh, NBA prospects that we saw over the course of the weekend playing college basketball, some coaching hires that have occurred, and then we're gonna debut a new segment at the end of the show, recruiting stories with Matt Penny. Penny, how you doing, man?
1: <laughs> I'm great. I'm excited. Uh, I'm still wired from the, the late night games. I haven't come back down to earth and I'm, I'm hoping to ride this out for the next whatever six days and we're done. So I'm enjoying it while we're here.
0: It's just the best. So before we get into any of that, I wanted to just talk real quickly about this very interesting Russell Westbrook quote from Overnight. I, I thought it was just totally fascinating. It, it seems like he's in like a back and forth with Stephen A. Smith. Because Stephen A. Smith is doing what Stephen A. does in terms of being like an entertainer that comments on basketball, Um, which is great. Like Stephen A. Like I have no beef with Stephen A. He's fucking hilarious, I think. But um, yeah, just like refuses to give Russell Westbrook credit, which is also absurd to me. And on Stephen A. Smith's comments, according to Fred Katz, who I assume was like just transcribing what was a Zoom call post game from the Warrior, uh, Wizards game last night. Russell Westbrook said, I've been playing basketball for my whole life. Like my wife mentioned, it's important that you don't let people deter you from your goal, deter you from your plan, deter you from the things that you have as destiny in this world. The prime example of it is I watch these college games and I watch these kids and these announcers, man, they get on TV and say anything about a kid. They don't even know him. They don't know his family. They don't know where he's from. They don't know what he's been through. They don't know his troubles. They don't know his pain. They don't know anything about the kid. But one thing said on TV can determine how you perceive this kid, uh, which will allow him to be able to reach his goals, which will allow him to be able to get drafted, which will allow him to take care of his family, which will allow him to create gener- generational wealth, which now makes our people in the minorities underserved communities. This is way bigger than basketball. That's my entire life focus. My wife, that's what she's mentioning, because we talk about it all the time. I sit back. I don't say much. I don't like to go back and forth with people but one thing i won't allow to happen anymore is to let people create narratives and constantly just talking shit for no reasons about me and there's like a big paragraph like after that as well that we don't really need to go into necessarily it's about just like russ not caring about a championship and being a champion of life because he hasn't because he's made it this far and like that's a great mindset to have and i have like an immense amount of respect for russell westbrook uh Because anytime that you talk to someone about Russ within basketball, outside of the media, like he's very much considered like a positive figure, Um, like off the court. And he does like a ton of crazy positive work in the community and all that stuff. Like you would kind of concur with that, right? Yeah,
1: I totally agree with that part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like his really made it like a goal of his to try to help the community in like a very real way. So. I totally understand where Russell Westbrook's coming from here. And I I find the first part of this just really fascinating because I think it informs a lot of what we do on this podcast. Like I think that people would look at that quote and say like, Hey, you guys are assholes for evaluating players and uh, you know, saying that this player isn't good enough. That player isn't good enough. I mean, what, what would you what was your reaction when you first saw this quote? Like I, I found it to be fascinating. I wouldn't say that it was uh I wouldn't say that it was a departure from what we do necessarily, but it certainly just kinda connects in a real way as well.
1: A lot of layers to it. Maybe it recalibrates a little bit. For the most part, I would say you especially are are generally positive here. You're you're gonna criticize, right. you're gonna evaluate players games whether they're freshmen in college maybe even earlier some of the high school stuff and then nba guys more so i took it as he's sick of the media scrutiny and it's I I get it. When you have a microphone in your face every night and you turn on the cable TV shows and you have talking heads on there and they need ratings and clicks and eyeballs and their show happens every single day. So you almost have to like create this content, whether it's not even there, out of nothing at times. And I, I think his larger point is you don't even really know me as a person. These players on TV as a person. So you shouldn't be so quick to judge and have this look at someone without really knowing their experiences and their story. And I, I understand that. I do. But it's also when you're you're playing and you're on the stage, you're opening yourself up to evaluation. That's just part of the the draft process for us that we kind of do here once a week.
0: Yeah, totally. And I, I think that Russ's mindset on this is something that has informed the way that it didn't look like he just said it, but like I've been talking to more and more players, been talking to more and more um mm-hmm people within the industry over the course of the last couple years and this mindset that he kind of alludes within this quote actually is something that like has kind of informed the way i think about it like I, i really try to think about it from a player first mindset a lot of the time uh i do think about it from a team mindset whenever i'm doing a mock draft and filling this stuff out but like my Goals with a lot of this stuff is to provide real information to players that, you know, they may or may not necessarily be getting, and also to entertain an audience, right? But I try and do it from a player perspective with the way that I create content. And I think that one part of doing that is providing real information about where players are and where they are seen by NBA evaluators so that they are not necessarily getting poor information, right? Um, Yeah. Like, I I mean, you know this as well as anybody. Anybody who is a top 150 prospect in college basketball going forward, you know, potentially to the NBA draft, every single one of those players has people in their ear saying,
1: you
0: "You need to go pro. Like, you need to go. It's time. Like, you got to go. And that's not always the best case for those kids. And I always try to think about it from, like, what is the best – Decision that those kids could make. Um, and it's like, for instance, like one of the reasons that I put on the bottom of my big board last time. And by the way, there will be another big board coming, I think, either tomorrow or the next day. Um, top 100. Why I put on the last one, like, hey, these guys are 18 really interesting guys, but they should not consider leaving right now. Like, they should not consider going pro because they're not at the peak of what their stock could be. They're not at the peak of what their potential value could be if they wait. And continue to develop at an incremental or potentially uh, astronomical pace if they were to hit like a spurt in their development right so yeah i, I just found russell westbrook's comments interesting um and thought he was like uh, dead on in a lot of ways and i thought it was good to hear a player like him and we're starting to get more outspoken players like him and draymond green talk about player development in a real substantial way and i think that's great like i want to hear as much from those guys as possible especially guys that like you know russell westbrook was a late bloomer in high school who um you know was defensive player of the year at ucla and then turned into like an offensive dynamic incredible player in the nba um draymond green you know obviously his development throughout his time in the nba is well chronicled uh I would love to hear more from these guys. Like I find the whole thing fascinating and I don't think it's antithetical to what we do here at all.
1: There's, there's two sides for sure of that. I, I agree with your points. These are also, when we're talking about the NBA draft and I remember, I think it was Sagana Joe when he was at Oak Hill Academy and the, in the Wayback machine here, he was going to go to college and someone showed him the projected amount of money you'd get with each draft pick. I want to say it was North Carolina showed him it. They said, I can make that much if I'm drafted 10th. So part of it, is you're also providing intel to NBA teams and franchises who are making multi-multi-multi-million dollar decisions on where these guys are drafted. And there's yep. a difference between being critical and saying, here's a guy's strengths, here's the weaknesses, he was 4-for-20 in this game of the tournament, versus completely deflating a player's character with, without really knowing that. That background story. And, and NBA teams are good and I'm trying to think of the word here, of kind of deciphering what's good information, what's bad information. They probably don't take the stuff that's on the cable news networks as seriously as someone who may be in the weeds, involved around the player, or knows the right people to talk to so they get a more informed decision. But part of it is also being outspoken and alerting people to those issues that kids are still kids and, and as we do this and talk about 19 year olds and college sophomores. And I didn't know what I was doing at 19. I don't know what I'm doing now. So we we have to also take that in consideration when we're in our hyper critical state that we can get in at times.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, like I, I am, uh, the, the more that I do this, the more that like, I know what I don't know in terms of like developmental cycles of players. Right. And I always try to phrase things as like where he needs to get better versus. Yeah,
1: you you, you leave it open ended. Not he can't shoot. Well, if he develops his his mechanics, if he tucks in his shooting elbow, if he holds his follow through, those things, as as opposed to completely running a guy off. Because, you, you know, if you get to the right developmental program in va it makes a world of a difference and then you're looking at the guy and saying i missed that maybe you didn't miss it but you didn't know the situation that they'd be in to improve down the line
0: yeah totally um all right let's uh let's move on to evaluating these kids that played let's in the get
1: NCAA critical tournament. Yeah. let's just get critical <laughs> we, yeah we started we we're trying to be good but not now
0: so evan mobley played jalen suggs and this is a top for me three matchup of prospects in the ncaa tournament and fascinating game for a number of different reasons. Jalen Suggs was a monster. He was so good in that game, I thought. And then on the other side, Evan Mobley was just okay, let's say. Uh, he went for 17 points, five rebounds, three assists. I thought his best skill in that game was his passing ability. Uh, I thought that that's what kind of shone through most. But like Drew Timmy kind of got him a little bit. Actually, quite a lot of bit. A lot of it. If we're going to be yeah. real about it. Yep. So wh- where do we sit on these two after this game? Like, I-, I think that I think that the the title of this podcast could be not overreacting to the NCAA tournament, not being <laughs> good, overreactionary good, to good, what we good, see. Good
1: luck. Good luck. Every, every article, whether it's newspaper, online, mock draft, we've all said, don't look at these three games and make rash decisions. But we're all doing it.
0: I know. Right. Like, that's, wow. the, na- that's
1: the name of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, so rash what, decisions.
0: So, yeah. Give me give me thoughts on Mobley and Sucks.
1: So I'll start with, with Suggs. My pregame notes, I, I take them on my phone as I watch. The The opening line after the Creighton game is, we've yet to see the Jalen Suggs game. So within like three minutes, I deleted that line off my phone because this was the Jalen Suggs game. 18 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, and he... Credited fellow Minnesota native Paige Beckers who starts with Yukon's women's team for giving a pep talk and telling him to kind of turn it up and, and play your game his separation speed with the head of steam playing downhill is ridiculous with his handle and when he gets in that like one-on-one situation it's impossible to stop him by a guard and, and isolation coverage and, and that's the the difference to me and, and the feel he had that bounce pass on the break throwing the needle to Nemhard. you just throw your arms up in the air like I, like, I don't know where yep. you're supposed to do to to really stop that thing. For Mobley I I said this about a, a different play last time. I, I just can't figure him out. I, I don't know what to do because he does these absolutely tantalizing things on the court. Like the Oregon game. Start right there. So he, they were switching everything and there was a switch where Duarte gets on him and Duarte's kind of like crap I don't know what I'm going to do. So a shot goes up. Duarte pushes him in the back. He tries to get him out of position. Mobley catches and dunks like a snap of fingers how quick it was. Then he goes on these long runs of six-plus minutes where he'll protect the rim a little bit and, and alter some shots, but he can drift. And then he hits you with the monster poster dunk of the tournament, which the, the picture looks fake. It looks like a, a cutout you'd find at like yeah. an amusement park that you put your head in and take a picture. And like, that's not real, is it? But he doesn't call or demand for the ball enough. And then the Kansas—I'm sorry, the Kansas game—the the Oregon game— He had 10 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. We saw that passing stuff. The passing did stand off the most. What's interesting to me is he has 79 assists to 74 turnovers this season. He's been much better. So if we want to overreact there too, the assist numbers have been better in the tournament. Against Timmy, the 17-5 felt quiet on 5-11 shooting. And Timmy scored kind of how he wanted around him, through him, over him. And as dominating as Drew Timmy is, it's not going to get easier when he's playing bigger guys in the NBA.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely right. I I will say, like, you kind of mentioned the assist-to-turnover ratio, right? Um, if, If you go back through, I would say his last 13 games, uh, it's very positive. It's like one and a half. Oh, away.
1: for sure. Yeah. Mobile. yeah.
0: Yeah. He's gotten way better at not um, not turning the ball over as the season has gone on. Um, and particularly making high-level passing reads as well. Like, he's had passing games of, like, seven assists, six assists. Um, he had five assists against Kansas. Like, he's, he's been really, really good as a passer late in the season. Um, I mean, what do you... <laughs> it's hard because like part of me wants to say he's being passive. Part of me wants to say he's being unselfish and I don't really have a problem with him being passive. Like I just wrote a whole story about like the fact that the reason USC is so good is because he's not pass, or because he is passive because he is like unselfish. Um, He's willing to make the right pass. Like he is selfless in the way that he focuses his energy defensively more than on offense. But if you're going to take a guy in the top two, like you do need that guy to be able to consistently create a shot. And he's not quite there yet at being able he to has, do that.
1: No, he has to be able to get his. And uh, that creating game with, with Suggs, he only had one shot the first 11 minutes. And he was pushing the tempo and making the right reads in transition. But then he calls his own number and he gets a bucket. Like, that's the right. difference to me. Like, you can, you can drift, you can pass out, and the interior passing for Evan Mobley is really good. He had a couple of nice high-low passes. He kicked opposite to shooters. But there's going to come a time when the clock is winding down in a playoff series and, like, we need two. We're, we're throwing the ball to you. Get us two points. And there's right. times that he can do that, and others you just don't know. His shot looks better. Uh, he's really good on the short roll. But you want him to even be a little bit more confident in that and you catch in short roll, just catch and shoot. Like he can pause just for a slight millisecond, you can tell, and then pulls up. Just a little bit more of belief. And you saw his face on that dunk for Eugene Omarui on him. It's like, I want, I want to see that all the time. And and you do that all the time. He's we're talking about him number one. It's hard for me to to put him in that that tier when you see what happens with Jalen Suggs when he turns it on and has weapons around him at his disposal, which will be similar athletically in the NBA.
0: Yeah, and with with Mobley too, like it's, I mean, like what do we think the ceiling is? Like if he would be a consistent 20 points, 11 rebounds, I mean, you and I both think he's like potential defensive player of the year, right? Like that. that's kind of where we're at. For Mobley? Yeah.
1: If the weight gets there, yes. I mean, I, yeah. Like the defensive player of the year stuff's great, and i was talking to somebody today about it and the narrative a little bit was well what what's drew timmy gonna do with evan mobley it should have been like what's evan mobley gonna do with drew timmy that turned me off and timmy has a a bag of tricks but i didn't leave there saying wow that he was not able to do what he wanted he scored any way he wanted yesterday
0: to an extent yeah i mean beyond to an extent like he did yeah, he scored in any way that he wanted. Like, I, I will say, like, Timmy got a lot of what he was doing out in transition and shot 10 of 19. Like, it's not like he was, like, wildly efficient yesterday.
1: No, but the first three or four possessions set the tone where he caught it. And it was like, ooh, is this going to be blocked, Punch into the third row? He went through them. That he scored the right hook, then hit another one on the other shoulder, comes down and hits one from the elbow kind of does the the flex the mustache dance and then uh Suggs come down and get a basket and, and they keep coming at you too which which doesn't help when they're scoring from every place on the floor
0: but what like probably i mean he probably had eight points out in transition yesterday right something yeah. like that so
1: give him 50 i don't have it the your analysis your heat heat chart your shot chart but if right. he had eight in transition he still had 15 in the say free throw line and in because he's not shooting threes
0: but he probably had, like, 15 on, like, 13 shots, right? Which is pretty good against Drew Timmy, right? So, like, I'm not saying Evan Mobley was, like, good yesterday. Like, he wasn't. But I thought a bigger problem for USC was they kept turning the ball over, especially early in that game. Really just early. Like, the second half was not really a game, right? We can just say that. Like, I think it was tied um, in total in the second half.
1: I was going to say tied one, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, I think the second half, like, ended up being... Like 35 35 or some shit like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I think that early in the game, USC's turnovers just set the tempo and it was very easy for Gonzaga to just run out and get buckets and score way too easily. And once it settled a little bit, and it's hard because like this game wasn't competitive, but like I didn't think Gonzaga was like amazing offensively in the half court. They were good. But it's not like they were like ridiculous either.
1: No, but you take your foot off the gas and you're up by 20, you get a little bit more yeah. ball movement. They had 21 assists to nine turnovers. Toward the end, you're you're playing different players and they went to the embarrassment of riches line, we'll call it, that you outlined in a tweet, which you just look and say, how are these five guys not playing And on the bench? But even before oh, by that. By the way,
0: the, the funnier one is that, so their garbage time was Martinez Arlauskis, what, like top? international recruit in 2019 right uh umar balo who was probably the top international recruit in 2019 right
1: top three at the least yep
0: yeah uh dominic harris top 75 recruit julian strother top 75 recruit ben greg top 100 recruit pavel zakharov was like a top what 60 something like that recruit
1: yeah big top in 2019
0: and like can't even get into their garbage timeline
1: <laughs> i mean that's a tournament team honestly like that's a tournament team <laughs> yes. they're playing somewhere that might be like a 12 a 10 seed but they're in the tournament
0: that team probably wins the wcc <laughs>
1: uh, uh, maybe they're, they're they're competing they're they're in the conversation that's a clickbaity headline is this the real championship team once people run out of stuff to write about in the next three days maybe we see that
0: that team i think legit wins the wcc with if, it, if Mark Few is coaching that team, it wins the WCC. Uh,
1: Mark Few is coaching that team. They're undefeated and playing for the final four. It's
0: fucking. Unbelievable.
1: I, I also I just now you have this critical bug in my head. Like, don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. I I still really like Evan Mobley. I, I yeah, do. yeah yeah. But it's hard for me to get around with with the good wings, point guards, people in in front of you like a uh, uh, Jalen Suggs and. Jalen Green, we'll talk about later, but we're underselling that he averaged 18 points per game in a G League ignite versus borderline NBA guys. Those guys are in the conversation. Even Kaminga, if his jump shot can figure out, there's it's not a draft where he's a clear cut one or two. There's there's a great handful of guys to pick through. It'll be it will be team based. It's still a, a battle for two beyond Cade Cunningham. In my world, I just it it gave me a little bit of pause. I was waiting for him to. As good as he's been in the tournament without the numbers popping, and his numbers actually were better the other day than they were against Oregon, despite Oregon being a more well-rounded game, I just was left leaving more based on the flashes we saw in the Pac-12 tournament in, in earlier rounds.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that's wrong. I think that's like reasonable in, in terms of a take. I mean, you guys will see the top 100 tomorrow. Uh, it, You guys have probably realized over the last few weeks like i was talking to an nba scout who listens to the podcast and he was like yeah like i've kind of been able to tell that like you have sugs it too probably um and yeah that's true like i have jalen
1: (laughs) good read yeah that's why you're a scout
0: good read um okay let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll be back Okay, we're back and let's run through some of the guys that had big NCAA tournaments or questionable NCAA tournaments uh, based mm-hmm. off of what we saw over the course of the last couple of days, four days, really. Let's talk about the UCLA guys first. So the guys that stood out to me are Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez. Uh, I've liked ha- Jaime Jaquez for a long time. Uh, I did not think he was really a chance to leave to go to the NBA after this year, and I still don't really think so. Uh He will be the favorite to win the Pac-12 player of the year next year, though, if he goes back. Uh, I think that that's my take, even potentially ahead of Johnny Juzang. I I think that Jaime Jaquez is just like that dude for college basketball, and I think he has a real shot to play in the NBA. Where are you on Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez?
1: I'll start with Jaime, then we can do the the Johnny Juzang tour. With with Jaime, he actually played on the same grassroots team as Jalen Green and was a complimentary piece i would say and he's hit these dagger jumpers all tournament long 27 in a win versus michigan state 13 byu 10 against abilene christian 17 a win versus alabama he was bad against michigan and and that's also part of when you're being defended by france wagner who's that's his job to to make you look bad and that's why you go one for six he does have that kind of NBA stylish game of face ups and isolation scores. Yep. He does the the pump fake, jump into you, move for fouls, and he'll make defenders pay when they gamble and they reach in. He stops hard and he'll get defenders on their heels. He doesn't look like it should work, but it really does. <laughs> and like the contested step back, he had in overtime versus Alabama was just like ridiculous. And, like, oh yeah, there was nothing there was nothing you could do to stop that. And when you're at six foot six and can kind of create his own shot a little bit off, off the side, off the dribble. It's going to be a longer look. Not not a this-year draft guy for me. Uh, we'll be interested if and when he goes back, what it looks like in a season.
0: By the way, very young for his class as well. Like Just turned 20 years old. Um I think a month ago, so very interesting in terms of his, the developmental trajectory that he's on. And the funny thing was, like, you go back and watch like the Jalen Green Jaime Hawkes teams. Like Jaime Hawkins was playing center on those teams. Like he was like an undersized. <laughs> well, you big. were
1: you were playing rebounder for Jalen Green, but yes,
0: right. Like I was, mean, like, that,
1: an, I mean that sincerely. Like Jalen Green was a was a bucket and was shooting a lot.
0: Right, and he was like the dirty work big. And now you see that, like, the work he's done in terms of skill development, his footwork is unbelievable. It oh, is yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible. Uh, his fluidity is incredible. He is really, really good as a pull-up shooter, uh, particularly just in terms of, like, you know, going right to left, crossover, step back, and then fluidly, ball, fluid ball pickup, getting into the shot like a one-motion jumper. I think he's going to be, like, a really fucking good shooter. Like Not even just like a, you know, he's hitting 39% from three this year shooter. Like, I think he's going to be a really, really high level shooter uh, at some point in his life, especially given just like the work ethic and everything that you hear. So um, He's
1: still going to take some ones, like, I wouldn't say wild, but still more on the move. So without your feet set as much, the percentage could be lower despite being a better shooter. And you mentioned him playing center. You kind of can see that a little bit. And the way he'll, like, back down his guys and people like, post-cut off him from the mid-post. So he's turned that out of position playing younger into somewhat of an advantage, too.
0: Yeah, and, like, you watch him on defense, too. He's really good on defense.
1: Oh, yeah. All Pac-12 defense, right?
0: Uh, I think he was, like, honorable mention. Um you know, I, I I've made my thoughts known on the all Pac twelve. <laughs> yeah, I forgot we teams. can't
1: talk about pack twelve awards here. Defense
0: over yeah. the years, I uh, I don't know if he should have been all Pac twelve defense. To be mm-hmm. honest, like he's like on the borderline of it, but he is like a legitimate plus defender. Um, yeah, just really good. I I think he's a real NBA prospect. Uh, down the road, probably for twenty twenty two, but nonetheless, like a real guy to pay attention to. Um. Johnny Juzang, I think, is also more of a 2022 prospect, but also six foot six and a very real shooter. Like, I know he's shooting 35 from three this year. He takes a million tough ones. Like, do not pay attention to that percentage. He's a 90% foul shooter, like, real shooter. Over his last 16 games, He's up over eighteen points per game. So this is not just like an NCAA tournament run that is pushing Johnny Juzang like onto the board of draft, you know, evaluators. It's been about two months now, a little bit over two months even since he's been a genuinely elite player in the Pac 12 for UCLA. What do we do with uh Johnny Juzang at this point? Like I think my immediate reaction is to wait a year, but like if he has a big game against Gonzaga, it's it's gonna get real interesting real quick.
1: It's gonna get real malachi in here. I thought yeah. that he it was gonna work in Kentucky because when I saw him in high school, the way he shot in Kentucky was kinda of going through those woes of, of needing a shooter and then just did it, it didn't work. We don't have to like over analyze it. It wasn't the best fit. It's fine. He found the best fit closer to home. The NBA stuff when when he can come off screens, he does do a good job of squaring to the hoop when he does shoot, but he he does some wild stuff, and when he's feeling it, he'll he'll take that extra crazy step back dribble and make a face when he hits it, and you say to yourself, "Well, he's going to take another one in the next possession too." And you have to live with it because he's had more than twenty three points three times already, and he was incredible in the Michigan game. He was twenty eight points on eleven of nineteen. It was timely baskets throughout. It was almost a twenty eight trillion because he had 22 po- 28 points, two rebounds, and like goose egg for assist, blocks, steals, fouls, turnovers. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. I, I, after the game, I don't really f- figure out the stats till afterwards, and you miss that stuff sometimes. Right. The, the 12 straight points in the first half was also a show, and he did that NBA flail the arm thing in the second half to draw a foul. To have Hawkes and, and Juzang on the two wings, potentially coming back next year with the only senior on their roster is Chris Smith, who could be back because of an ACL injury. Maybe he does the, the bonus ball year. They're going to be good again.
0: Yeah, I think this, like, Mick Mick has this thing rolling now. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is uh, it wasn't,
1: it wasn't It wasn't long ago that people were questioning the hire when they lost to Hofstra and Cal State Fullerton in, in year one. The media jumps all over him. He still goes 19-12, and ties for second in the league. And, oh, yeah, P.S., we're, we're in the Final Four, and uh, Deja Nick decided to go to the G League. Chris Smith tears his ACL, hasn't played since December 31st. And Jalen Hill's left the team for personal reasons. We've added Mac Etienne, who's at... Brewster academy in a high school to start the year and yeah just to remind we're in the final four
0: yeah like and by the way this team lost its last four games of the season <laughs> right
1: right right
0: like they, they were not hot coming in uh unbelievable i mean mick cronin is ridiculous he's absolutely incredible and by the way is something on fire in your house
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not my house i'm uh, this is like the uh, we're, we're, i'm not in the city it, this is like a, a longer discussion but there's always some trucks or somebody backing up that's all you're getting I'm keeping your oh, toes.
0: I love it. I needed. I needed it so much. There's always. Um, some,
1: there's always some extra sound here for you.
0: Do, do we just want to have the Mick Cronin conversation now? Then, like Mick Cronin, uh,
1: I do. I do. Yeah, because I'm a Mick guy.
0: Explain why you're a Mick guy. I'm here for it.
1: Uh, because Mick Cronin is unapologetically who he is. He he, he wants is. toughness. He wants guys who want to play defense. And when you talk to coaches on their staff about recruits, they don't obviously want the highest level talent of kid. But the question is always, can he play for Mick? Because you need to fit that mold. He'd rather have a smaller, tougher guy than somebody who's seven feet tall that can play his his style. And when he got the job, UCLA targeted crazy names of Calipari and Tony Bennett and then I think even Jamie Dixon and Rick Barnes. So when he was hired, it was widely questioned and almost borderline criticized, I would say. Because at at Cincinnati, he had nine straight seasons of 22 plus wins, but he hadn't been outside the round of 32 since making the sweet 16 in 2012 you're at ucla you have 11 national championships there's just this this expectation level but it's like the transfer stuff it's it's patience and it's timing and they figured out the defense thing later on the year they have really empowered jaime Jaquez and and johnny chuzang and tiger campbell's been really good and despite the losses they've played their style which people again questioned are you going to be able to do that In Westwood, where people see the bright lights in Hollywood stuff, he has. And the players that they've also added in a year with the whole returning roster will mcclendon who's a tough gritty guard from vegas peyton watson who's a a late blooming forward mcdonald's all-american and then in 2022 they added a top 10 guy in amari bailey so he's already so much has changed in two weeks because they had a playing game two weeks ago and people would say ucla is not supposed to have a playing game well now they're in the final four have it rolling in the recruiting stuff and their whole roster coming back so i just i tip my hat to what he's done he just kind of put his head down to work and it's been a a big talking point the other way. So I'm I'm just glad he's able to kind of enjoy this success as it's kind of unfolding.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see what this roster looks like next year. Like it wouldn't stun me if someone left because Peyton Watson's coming in because like Peyton Watson's taking someone's spot, right? Like that's just happening. Um, He
1: he is. I mean, you don't want to, you don't know, I mean, be too much of a downer, but th- that could be a G League Ignite thing, too. So th- that's a wait and see. But if he does end up there, then for sure there's there's going to be playing time that he gets because he's that good.
0: Is that like a public thing that like Peyton Watson G League Ignite thing?
1: No, I'm just saying he's, he's a top 10 kid. He's a McDonald's All-American. Like there's going to be those type of conversations. I'm not trying to be some hot takey breaking news here.
0: Yeah, this, this is not uh, this is not breaking news. This is not a thing. Do not aggregate this. This is there's
1: no aggregation. No.
0: This is Matthew Penny speculating. <laughs> yes, on, just just
1: pure speculation.
0: Yes. Um. So I'll be fascinated to see what this roster looks like. I think that Mick Cronin. By the way, this was the most Mick Cronin Cincinnati game of Mick Cronin's UCLA tenure. Oh, yeah. Like. Fifty-one forty-nine, gross basketball. Just like fucking terrible basketball game. Like let's
1: be it wasn't terrible. That. that was that was good basketball. We can force a projected top ten pick into a, an airball three pointer. And he said post game too that
0: did he, he did he was, force it though? Like he was wide open. He was, no, he was wide. He, he fucking was open.
1: open. He was, no, no criticism. Russell Westbrook channel it.
0: But he uh, said that
1: he was most uh enthused. I guess post game that they didn't foul. It, it, a lot of times yeah. end of games foul it's a free throw it's something away from the ball game ends like that they didn't they played a good defense and box down get rebound
0: they were great on defense but like i don't know like I, i'm not really interested in watching hunter dickinson like n- go full zoolander and can't turn like left <laughs> the whole time yeah like <laughs> tries to do the same post move every time like, it
1: works for the most did part
0: it, did it though against it did for a while uh, yeah i mean it works it works a lot in the big 10 uh, we'll, we'll say that. Um, worked against Ohio State in the, uh, what was it Was that the Big Ten title game? Or no, it was, uh, uh, yeah, no, it was the last the season, big, last no. game of their, yeah, uh, yeah last it was game of Ohio
1: there. State and Illinois, Big Ten title, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it was not the Big Ten title game. It was the semifinals where he had like 20 points and like crushed it. But yeah, Hunter, Hunter Dickinson. And let's go to Michigan now because that game was interesting for the Michigan guys too. Uh, I think Hunter Dickinson needs to go back. I'm just going to say that um just not good enough defensively yet in the things that he will need to be good at at the nba level like he needs to get better at sliding and being able to wall off and drop coverage which is what he's gonna have to play he's gonna have to get better at uh like finishing around the rim at the end of the day like he needs to have more than just that one singular post move uh I think he has some shooting potential as well. Like, the ball does not look bad coming off of his hand. I, I would like to see him work on being able to shoot the ball as well.
1: The shooting, for sure, and, and also the, the feet defensively, even his drop coverage, being able to, to have some semblance of stopping guys on that end. Because he would be exposed some in pick-and-roll when you're in such a pick-and-roll heavy league in the NBA.
0: Yep. Uh, Franz Wagner now. let's. Uh, that was... That was one of the worst games I think we've seen a top a potential top ten pick play in a while. Um, he went one for ten from the field. It was not his typical defensive self. Like he did a pretty good job on Jaime Jaquez, but like Jules Bernard kind of took him to task a little bit, and um, he got scored on a couple times in space, like blown by in switch scenarios or scramble scenarios where like they were in semi transition, he couldn't cut off the ball. Look, you don't want to take away too much from one game, right? Like, Franz Wagner was really good in the previous two NCAA tournament games. He was really good against Florida State, had 13 and 15, and was really great within the flow of their offense, and was great against LSU, too. Um, I think he had like 15 and 8 or something in that game. But man, was that a bad last impression to leave in the eyes of scouts for Franz Wagner.
1: Not what you, the, the last snapshot you want scouts to remember you by. There was some chatter prior to that Florida State game on how he would match up with Scotty Barnes and how he'd respond with his athleticism and length. And I actually thought he was really good. And he beat Scotty Barnes off the dribble, not enough to blow by him, but kept him on his hip. He forced the defense to react, rotate. He leads to those easy Hunter Dixon back baskets, dunks. He did it for dunks twice in a row. He did miss three straight threes that game, but he bodied up well to Barnes on, on his drives. And he took over that primary defensive duty against MJ Walker late. MJ was five for 14. UCLA, not good well, I mean, one for 10 from the field he ends the tournament shooting from three i think two for 16 uh or maybe that was the last two games but he he was solid i thought on jaime is holding into one field goal he challenged and forced him to bad shots he probably should have been on choosing earlier i just uh, i was listening to it and, and you can kind of hear the the volume on my computer screen when you log in here i couldn't believe the last play because i thought it was such a good play call from juan howard it was a the dribble handoff to the left-hand side into a pick-and-roll with Hunter Dickinson, which just had been a dunk so many times you saw during the season. The defense miscommunicates, goes under, and he airballs a three by, like, a lot. I was I was surprised when it didn't hit anything because normally those ones release, it's like, that's the that's the dagger. There it is.
0: Yeah. Uh, two for 16 in the NCAA tournament from three. Yeah, you hit it right the first time. Uh yeah (laughs) that was look i've been like semi-questionable on france the whole way right like i I don't want to say i've been like a downer but i I think i've been a little bit lower on him right
1: yes you have you have i've probably been higher middle middle first late lottery you're kind of i would guess i want to put words in your mouth you're more like that 20 ish type range 20
0: going upward not the other way yeah like i have him at like you know 15 16 17 you know somewhere in the 20 range yeah i I would guess that that's probably right um great player like i I really like him i'm still trying to figure out uh is he good enough defensively and is he a good enough shooter to really make like the highest level difference in the nba um is he like we These guys that are like elite-level defenders, they're better athletes than Franz Wagner in the NBA, we could say, right? That's fair. Um,
1: But he hasn't hasn't not been able to get a shot off. And and what he does do well, despite the the shooting slump, he knows how to operate within space. He knows how to, I'm 6'9", I'm long, off one or two dribbles, I can get to the rim and and do a runner, I can do a short pull-up, I know a guy's going to react, I'm going to hit opposite. He won't force and pull the ball out of the offense and try to do too much. Within the flow of stuff, he actually could be better when he has some more creation from the point guard position. Defensively, it wasn't great last night. I'm not as concerned on on that end as I think you are.
0: Yeah. um, Maybe not.
1: Uh, (laughs) Russell Westbrook, channel it. Channel it. it
0: It's positive. Positive mindset. Yes. Um, Let's go to Arkansas Baylor. Uh, Moses Moody had a rough NCAA tournament. Uh, Yes. Did not go as well as what we were hoping, especially given the way he finished the season. Like, he was really good for Arkansas in those last what, I would say four, five, six games. Like He went 24 points against Alabama, 18 against LSU, 28 against South Carolina, 28 against Texas A&M. He had five against Missouri, and then 28 in that great SEC tournament game against LSU again. Um, it just didn't really look all that efficient in the way that he was getting his baskets. Uh, he struggled to get to super efficient looks it felt like in the ncaa tournament uh even like against oral roberts who is not like a wildly high-end defense like it seemed like he was just struggling to he got to the spot missed the shot in some cases but then also like got to the spot or like didn't even get to the spot at times to beat his defender there and get what could be considered a clean look and still took like a somewhat difficult look you know what i mean
1: sure and Arkansas is taking it really well. They're blowing up social media saying he ran and hid during the tournament. And so much so that former Razorback Bobby Portis actually went to his defense saying he's going to be good. He's similar to the Russell Westbrook thing. He's, he's going to be able to take care of his family and still make money off of this. Four for 20 versus Oral Roberts despite the the 14 points. He's two for 10 in that loss against Baylor combined 0 for 7 from 3 in those two games is 3 for 17 overall he had a bad first half in that baylor game and a sideline reporter asked coach musselman at, at half what he had to do to get him going and he said he Moody has to get himself going which there's definitely some some truth to that maybe he could have got uh, Corey Kisbert kispert had a bad first half last game and the first play out of halftime Mark Few runs just like a little pin down a curl. I think he missed the shot, but for shooters, you just need to get that comfort basket, get to the free throw line, and start feeling better. Moody never hit that rhythm. I I am worried. Uh, I had a friend at, ask me about we, we've talked at length about Chris Duarte and, and how well he's playing. He's surging. Chris Duarte is still like four ish years older than Moses Moody. Do we get on board with saying in four years the development? I'm not saying he could be. Duarte, but like how does that look and how do we even balance that with that age discrepancy there?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great question because it ultimately comes down to like do we think Moses Moody has star potential versus do we think that like because right now Chris Duarte is a better player than Moses Moody. Like we can say that pretty yes, comfortably. Yes, right? and,
1: and and I say because they're they're gonna be bunched in this wing shootery type group that those will kind of be the head to head comps that nba teams are at least having some preliminary conversations about
0: so like would you rather have chris duarte like chris duarte's second contract (laughs) is gonna be when he's like 28 years old (laughs) <laughs> and like his second contract's gonna end when he's like thirty two. But isn't
1: but <laughs> it'll be yeah, will be us. Awesome. Uh isn't that okay though, if you're a contender? Don't you want somebody just like right now and it's not yeah. even a development four or five years from now?
0: I mean the the big question is how close do you think Duarte is to his ceiling versus how close do you think Moody is to his ceiling, right? And what is exactly. the difference between exactly. them now, right? Like right. there is a difference. Like Chris Duarte is a better player right now. Um I would say somewhat comfortably not very comfortably but like there, there's a real difference there right because Duarte is a like genuine disruptive defender he's a better shooter right now he's more comfortable more poised on the bounce like just a little bit better overall player the question is does Moody have especially given his frame, right? Like he's a ridiculous frame, like six foot six, seven foot wingspan, 205 pounds. Does he have something in there that he can get to? Because he has like a, he has some of that like real creativity shit off the bounce too. Like he knows how to get to the foul line. Like he averaged six free throws a game. He's really good at, uh, flailing his arms out and like drawing contact on like rakes across the arms. Right. Um, and he's still 18. Like he's a he's one of the youngest freshmen in this class. I would think Moses Moody is going to get better. Like I understand he had a bad four games. I understand that he had a bad four games in the worst possible time.
1: Yeah, yeah. not great. Yeah,
0: I'm still pretty comfortable taking that dude in the lottery. Like and I, I'm, I think people are going to be surprised that like I'm not really wavering from where I am on Moody. Um, did not have a great four games, but. This is a kid who's 18 years old, comfortably won the SEC Freshman of the Year over guys, by the way, that, like, because their teams did not go as far in the NCAA tournament, are now, like, getting passes. Like, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer were terrible against Oregon State. Correct. Yeah. Awful. And because they weren't bad for four games, they were only bad for one game in a game where their team got eliminated. We're. Like giving them the benefit of the doubt, it feels like almost. Like, isn't that kind of how it feels?
1: Yeah, a little bit. But I like liked, Moses uh, Moody
0: was better than them the entire year.
1: The, during the year, yes. But now it's the, the biggest stage, the brightest lights. And when you lose in the first round, you, you kind of become an, an afterthought and forgotten because yeah. so much is going on. And now when you're really zoned in and we're okay, we're at the Elite Eight, we're at the Sweet 16, it, the microscope gets, gets bigger. And the battle for six that i'm excited to see your your big board dropped and i'm just going to use your mock draft 3.0 rankings for here we joke about it just to kind of give us some context you had scotty barnes sixth he had single digit points every tournament game 11 yep. turnovers to nine assists two games he took two field goal attempts seven keon johnson they lose to oregon state by 14 in the first round which now doesn't look like a bad loss because oregon state's apparently awesome but he goes six for 16, a lot of points once the game was decided. Eight, we have Moses Moody. We talked about his his shooting woes. Nine, James Booknight. Very hard time against Maryland's own and Darrell Morcel. Ten, Kai Jones, 11 points, and a loss to Abilene Christian. There hasn't By the way, it was the only
0: separation. good player in that game for Texas Right,
1: <laughs> right. So there hasn't been separation. And then you have Chris Duarte at 21 points on 16 shots. Davion Mitchell is Awesome, and we're talking about those guys. Where can they fit in the twenty and in the twenty range? And six for ten, we're just kind of shrugging and saying like, yeah, they haven't done it, but maybe it's a hand wave. Maybe they're good enough. Are teams able and willing and patient enough to invest in probably higher ceiling guys that we just rattled off here, or do you want more of a probably finished product in Chris Duarte and Davion Mitchell? And that's not a bad thing either.
0: I think that people are wildly underestimating how hard it is to be good in the NCAA tournament at 18 years old and 19 years old. Like, Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, Jalen Suggs is just fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> Yes, it, yes. You know, and by the way, Jalen Suggs, like you said, like has not really gone off in the NCAA tournament before so that Alaska, game against USC. Yes, yes, like, yeah. we're underestimating how fucking difficult it is to be that good on the biggest stage uh in the way that like everyone anticipates for these guys who are 19 years old and still trying to figure out in many cases what their games were like by the way cam thomas he had like what 28 points in each Mm -hmm. of their first two games or whatever it was like cam thomas didn't really impact winning in those games though like cam thomas just did the cam thomas show right yes but, so like,
1: <laughs> but actually, my my hesitation there too is you want guys to figure out on the big stage. It, it can't be a, it can be like a half hand wave, but can't be a, a complete hand wave. And it, it's just harder when Moody goes back to back four for twenty and two for ten. If you have the four for twenty, then you bounce back and you have twenty four points. And hey, the shooting's not falling, but you're. 13 for 15 for the free throw line which you did a few times you're getting out in transition but to not have that in in either of those kind of elitish matchups it's gonna hurt your draft stock a little bit
0: yeah i get that um i i do but like just look at the guys who've had success in this tournament like it th- there's a reason that it's mostly older guys like what drew timmy is what 20 i think right like he's not mm-hmm like he's not like a super young uh sophomore right um corey kispert's 22 davion mitchell i think is 21 or 22 um you know houston's guys like quentin grimes has been around like he's 21 22 um dejan Giraud is 21 yeah 22. Transferred. Yep. um johnny juzang just turned 20 so like maybe you know we can make a case that johnny juzang is kind of the Exception here. Jaime Hockey has just turned 20. But again, these guys are 20 and they're, they've had a year of experience in college basketball where these guys haven't yet. I think it's really hard to just be like, oh, they sucked in the tournament. We need to throw away what we've seen from them this year. You know what I mean? No,
1: no it's, it, it's not a throwaway. You can't do that because all we do is rally uh, against recency bias. The more of spotlight that is there in the NCAA tournament you, you look at it more you analyze it more and some of those weaknesses stand out where you want franz Wagner to shoot the ball better it doesn't have to be the game winner that's fine but one sure. for ten isn't awesome but like that, the other thing that's is just too, a criticism
0: that like people are real excited about max ace right now like you and i have talked about max ace on the podcast probably four or five times this year before the tournament right Something like uh, that, yeah.
1: Cu- uh, at least a couple, yeah. Uh, it, we are so far back in Max Abmas, we didn't even pronounce his name right. That's how long we've been at this party. We thought it was Abrams, but yeah,
0: right, uh, yeah, we thought it was a- Abmus. yeah, Abbas, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but we've been we've been to this show, so like we know what the weaknesses are with Max, and like we know that he has no chance to defend right now, and that he needs to really improve there. And we know that he needs to improve as a decision maker, which is why I think that you and I have not been as overreactive to things, right? Like, we, we haven't quite been as um, willing to just throw shit, like, over the boat. You know what I mean? Uh, whenever
1: no, no, and And for which I thought was fortuitous a little bit, this week, a lot of the media, yourself included, circled back to that Carson Edwards run from a few years ago and that Virginia game, and he had 42 points on 14-25 and 25 shooting. That was one of the crazier scoring runs that I can remember, where he had 26 against Old Dominion, 42 against Villanova, 29 against Tennessee, 42 versus Virginia. We look back now, we see this, and, and Carson Edwards, who was drafted 33rd overall, who's bouncier, who's bigger than Ace Miss, probably a better athlete, he plays 10 minutes per game in the NBA. Not a, a slight at him, but how can we then slide in Max Asemus, who has a similar type of run that's smaller, can't defend as well. Maybe the shot's a, a little bit better, can hit some crazier stuff. But we, we also can't jump to, to that conclusion either.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Like, totally, totally agree. Um, let's just kind of rapid fire through some of these guys, because some of these other guys we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast recently. Um Quentin Grimes, we've mentioned a few times, he just continues to be really good. Like, I'm at the point where I think I would take Quentin Grimes in the second round, like pretty comfortably. What do you think?
1: Yeah, not a not a shot creator, but at six foot five, he is a, a threat from three. He's been like four for eight, five for nine, four for twelve, four for ten from three. He's shot a lot more threes this season too. He's 99 for 240, which is not this small sample of 78 threes, which we're wondering if he can shoot or not. He's doubled his attempts from last year. And moves the ball well. Chris passes, hit the middle of the zone a little bit, hit the short corner, yep. look for cutters. I, I'm more in on him than I, I was uh, a couple months ago, I guess. And the success yeah. helps. Like we, we can't deny that.
0: Yep. Still only 20 years old, like very clearly. And, and by the way, like not a guy again, that has been just like a pop-up guy either. Um, All American this year, like very clearly uh, a draft worthy player, in my opinion, and someone who should probably leave at the end of the year. Um, we haven't talked a ton about Dejan Juro. I think it ultimately comes down to what you think of the shot. I mean, like, look, like you went to UMass. I'm sure you have uh, a better feel for Juro than I do. Um, yeah,
1: it's uh, look, it's a sore subject when you have a, a UMass transfer <laughs> who's telling people after a tournament game he's a savage and carry the team on his back and makes these energy and defensive plays this shot is the swing set he can hit those floaters he can beat guys off the dribble can he shoot it i, I don't really know that answer
0: yeah um the big the big question is the shot he's gotten way better defensively obviously still a really good passer um i worry a little bit about the shot to or the uh like decision making to just you know ma- being able to not be so wild all the time but
1: yes and and he has reeled it in, I and mean, he's yeah, he totally has. bought in. That that whole team has has bought into that culture that they've instilled there as a, as a coaching staff. So he's he's been a where UMass it was the expectation that he would be a franchise type guy. He's one of their better players, but he doesn't have to have such a, a heavy offensive lift.
0: Okay, uh, the Baylor guys. I mean, Davion Mitchell's just unbelievable. I'm writing a little bit about Davion Mitchell in the big board post that you have coming tomorrow and the next day. Um, just a stud. Jared Butler has not been awesome. I mean, wh- where are we at on those two?
1: Uh, Davion Mitchell is is surging crazy. He he's showed everything. His vision on pick and roll continues to really impress me. He slows the game down, then he steps on the gas and has that little left-handed scoop pass to dunkers. He beats his man too, he's, when he's a little bit smaller has a, a bigger defender, he can release it at funny like unorthodox release timing and points who's so not blocked he made the first jumper against Arkansas. He did like the slow clap and they zoomed in on the glare and you knew it was kind of over. And a guy (laughs) who's nicknamed off night, because he makes the best offensive player have an off night. I I want to draft him. Jared Butler, similar concerns had a hard time against bigger physical guys like Brandon Slater from Villanova, who's six foot six, same thing as Houston. Any switch onto a big became a jump shot and sometimes off balance. He's better when he has the dribble to operate and didn't pull from three in those scenarios just wanted to turn the switch a little bit earlier. I had Butler ahead of of Mitchell early in the year, and those guys to me have, have certainly flip flopped.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I have Mitchell. I think Mitchell's like very clearly their best player. Um, I, I don't really. I understand that, like, you know, some people might take that as reactive, but I mean, just watch their games, man. No, it's been like, built though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the numbers say it the tapes as it like jared butler i know jared butler like made their all de- made the big 12 all defense team like that that was a weird one didn't you think
1: he's a final 15 for the national award too with yeah. with uh davion and uh mark vital yeah
0: yeah like the level to which vital and mitchell are more important than him defensively is staggering um yeah, I, I didn't, I don't, I'm, like, Butler's a fine defender, but, like, I don't think he's anywhere near that. Like, Jericho Sims, missing the all Big 12 defense team to put a third Baylor guy and Jared Butler on there was bizarre to me. Um, but, yeah, like, I think Davion Mitchell is very clearly their best all-around player. He's the guy that, like, stirs the drink for this team. Yes, Butler's definitely a great scorer, uh, a great passer as well. I think that that is a bit underrated with him, but yeah. Um, Matthew Meyer uh, just continues to do Matthew Meyery things. Uh, Everyone gets real excited for one game, and then uh, he has like 17 against Wisconsin, and people are pumped. And then you look back at his last, it's like seven or eight games, he's had three points, three points, five points, eight points, six points, seven points with Wisconsin for 17 in the middle of that. Like we need to just tap the brakes on Matthew. Just tap tap the
1: brakes. (laughs) Just a slight tap. But he comes in. he, He gives you a different look. I forget what game it was, but he came off the bench. He hit a three, ended up being a timeout. It, those guys too their their depth is ridiculous and is a, a wider angle thing too it amazes me how unselfish those guards are i mean it, they don't seem to care who gets the credit and admire yep. when he's on the floor too the balls move to make the extra pass his numbers are, are lower probably because of that and he he can he can force the action at times done a better job of, of reeling it back in and playing within what they're trying to do
0: totally uh do you want to have one final thing on chris duarte and uh eugene Omorui?
1: Uh yeah, one last thing. Chris Duarte is awesome. We've said that. I think we've we dipped our toes earlier. We're we're diving all the way in the deep end now. He shoots, defends, doesn't over dribble. He's efficient. He had that comeback a little bit against USC, and you know what you're getting. He he's older, but his his attributes and his strengths outweigh the the age shaming that some people do and, and <laughs> the other weaknesses. He he can plug and play. I'm I'm a believer in in him still now more than ever
0: okay uh we wanted to talk a little bit about the indiana hire do you feel like people are overreacting to like saying this is a bad hire at indiana
1: uh yes because we we don't know we we talked about McCronin and and people were saying i don't know that might not work it worked he's in the final four people overreacted a little bit not as crazy with the john howard thing when he was hired at at michigan Not, not a thing at all and they've had success at Michigan, and you're wondering how much of that has impacted, influenced other schools wanting to create that same recipe. And with the the Mike Woodson hire, they also added Thad Mata in a, in a non-coaching role who's been in that league, recruiting that league, knows what it takes, similar to what Jawan did with Phil Martelli as an assistant who's a longtime head coach at St. Joe's. Michigan had a great staff. I think it came out today that, they're indiana's retaining kenya hunter so they're putting some pieces together i I, after what we've seen and the way things shake out i I don't want to rush to judgment right away like we got to give it a a season or two and maybe this is the the new wave of of nba guys there's other guys mentioned for jobs that are open but we, we gotta wait to to judge here
0: well and here's the other thing about mike woodson like yeah mike woodson was probably not like a top 10 coach in the nba right that's fine the nba is like where the finest minds are in basketball like it's cool that he was not a top 10 mind in the nba (laughs) um having said that his record in the nba is way better than what people say like they throw out like the losing seat like the losing uh career mark look at the context like when he took that atlanta job do you know who the best players were on the atlanta hawks
1: i know you do i don't off the top of my head
0: so it was ty Lu was their starting point guard like <laughs> okay
1: many moons ago yes
0: <laughs> yeah um it was josh smith's like rookie season it was josh childress's like third second season something like that um they had al harrington and they had like older antoine walker i think like it was just like what are we doing here you know it what i mean? sounds
1: like a good lineup to me or at least for the content yeah
0: yeah, um of course they won like 18 games that year or whatever they won. <laughs> but from every year that Mike Woodson had the Hawks job, that team won an increasing number of games every season. Like they got better every single year. They built every single year to where they got better. And then he leaves and goes and gets the Knicks job and in his first full season cuz he took that Knicks job midway through a season, in his first full season as the Knicks coach, they win fifty games, and I, if I remember correctly, is that the year Carmelo made the second round? I want to say. Um, uh, I think they made sure. the second round.
1: Uh, right? I'm saying yes. I don't know the answer.
0: Um, like he was a good NBA coach. <laughs> like, imagine winning freaking like that many games in the NBA with the Knicks when James Dolan's your owner. <laughs> what are we doing here
1: i'm not i'm not worried about the the coaching part of it i'm really not it's i I don't know his style coaching recruiting it's it's staff and who you connect with which is the difference and with joan howard he gets it because he played at a high level in college played in the nba coached the nba has a son on the team at michigan has a son who plays at img academy who's, who's very good too he knows that lifestyle. I just get worried about NBA guys coming when it's not always going to be upscale stuff and, and great hotels. It's different when you're recruiting high school kids and outskirts, suburban gyms, and hoping when you get out of the 940 set that there's a gas station open for a bite to eat. It's just different. Like You have to be able to pull guys in. And Juwan Howard's like adjustment has been so seamless. I don't want to say he makes it look easy because he clearly works hard and has done an unbelievable job there. He's recruiting at a high level where they were good this year. Clearly, they just lost in the Elite Eight, and they have a a six-man class headline next year by draft prospects in Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate. Like, he's got it. Like, if Mike Woodson's able to replicate that from the coaching and he's able to do what he's done in the NBA, plus go and get guys, they'll be fine. But uh, it's always just who you're able to hire and connect in that area, in that region, to pull in good enough players to compete.
0: And, yeah, like, I just kind of think that he'll be fine doing that. Like, he- here's the thing that I think is being underestimated by this. Uh, first and foremost, I don't think people care about going, okay, let me let me change that tone because that will get me in trouble. Um, <laughs>
1: Edit. Edit here. Cut. Yeah.
0: Less and less. <laughs> I think that NBA, I think high school prospects care about, like, going to college to like be involved in the pageantry of college basketball more and more the four and five star prospects that have like a very high level chance of making the nba care about making the nba and people can like laugh off and say like oh well mike woodson has no name recognition compared to juan howard that's true but He's going to be able to sit into the living rooms and say, like, I've coached this, this, and this guy. Here's how I developed them. Here's how I went about things. That's probably going to be a pretty effective pitch, I think. Like, it's not just being like, oh, my God, like, he is not. Uh, he's not Jawan Howard. Uh, he doesn't have that name recognition. I mean, like it's fucking Indiana. He's going to get in the door regardless.
1: <laughs> right, right. Right. And then you, once you coach for you Indiana, you're in. Yeah.
0: Right. And then like, once he gets in the door, it's all about how insightful he can be. And I think that that pitch is actually pretty good whenever it comes to that. Like, look, I'm not saying he's going to be like a successful coach or anything either. Like, I, I don't know. I think there is a chance that it doesn't work quite as well as what we want it to, but I think there's a pretty good chance it works. Like, I, and, I, I get that, and, like, we're, we're throwing out there, too, these guys like Terry Porter and Mark Price and... Clyde Drexler,
1: um, Dan Marley, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, they went to worse situations than this, true sure. yes. Like, as long as... Like, I, I do think Mike Woodson needs to hire the right staff, for sure, but I think that about every high major job at the end of the day now. And I kind of think that this is going to be fine. Like, I, I, I don't think it's any different than indiana going out and hiring like look if they could go out and hire scott drew or chris beard or some shit like yeah go do that but like i I think this is like right in the same ballpark as going to hire porter moser or going to hire you know paul mills or whoever the fuck else you're gonna hire that has a college basketball experience and is riding high right now is like an incredible college coaching candidate right
1: Different than Mosier because the success he's had at, a, I don't want to say a new blood, but a, a non-traditional power at times has turned them into a top 10 Ken Palm team every year and has made them to a Final Four. I like the connective piece that you brought up because Micah Shrewsbury was also just hired at Penn State and his pitches, I helped develop Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's pretty powerful if you're in a living room and you're a wing and you're six foot seven and you want to play in the NBA. When Mike Woodson got the job, Trace Jackson Davis, who's Indiana's best player and deciding debating, I don't think he's declared for the draft, but it seems like everyone's declared for the draft. Actually, today he tweeted out like the the eyeball emoji. Don't have to read too far into it, but clearly it's piqued his interest. He's, I'm guessing, gonna hear it out. And if you're talking to an NBA coach who has been in the NBA for years and and that's your your ultimate goal he's probably going to help develop get you to that spot or at least put you in a position to be spotlighted that you're going to look good enough to, to be on the, the right radars for what you're doing. Maybe Trace Jackson Davis is now shooting more out of pick-and-pop stuff into an isolation because yep. Coach Woodson knows that's the NBA game. and It's not necessarily throwing the post, what Coach Miller did, and that's not a bad thing either. He tried to play a different way. Maybe it's more NBA style with sets. So we, we, we just have to wait. We have to, we have to slow down with everything and stop rushing before we see some results.
0: So, like – Here's the other part of this too. And I I don't mean to disparage college coaches here, but what is being run in the NBA currently offensively is pretty substantially more impressive and intricate than what is being run from an offensive perspective in college basketball as a whole. There are great college basketball offensive coaches like Jay Wright is Fucking exceptional as an offensive coach, Mark Few is exceptional. Um, you know, we can go up and down the list. Like, I, th- I think Fran McCaffrey actually does like a really good job on offense. I think Chris Holtman does a really good job on offense. Um, but by and large, like running spread pick and roll. I mean, we just, we just saw what could happen with it if you get the right players in the right situations. Like Max A just like rolled to the Sweet Sixteen with Kevin O'Banner and like three other guys.
1: <laughs> Literally rolled. Yes.
0: Like. I think there is a distinct advantage to having someone who would be willing to do that at the college level right now. Like, I think that offensive spread floor teams who can also switch defensively and like bring some NBA concepts down to college is a marginal inefficiency right now within college basketball. And if I, I don't know if Mike Woodson's going to do that like maybe he just goes full college basketball from his time at Indiana and runs like what fucking Bob Knight ran like I, <laughs>
1: yeah, he, he's running the flex yeah
0: yeah like maybe he will do that but that that would be a departure from his NBA teams and what he's run at that level so I don't know. Like, I'm not as neg. I was high on the Jawan Howard hire. I thought it was smart. Um, like, you talk to people about Jawan Howard in the NBA, and they're like, this guy's fucking awesome. Uh, he's going to be a great coach. Most of them thought he'd be a great head coach in the NBA. Uh, he's now a great coach in college. Like, that's great. Um, I think there's a good chance Mike Woodson's pretty good. I, it, like, there's a chance it falls apart because. We don't know necessarily what it looks like, but I think there's a good chance that he's pretty good.
1: Indiana, too. If if you want to kind of keep in the family, there's not a, a ton of names there as well, and it, right. it does have some cachet. And you, you you hope that he can take the the best parts of Indiana basketball and go beyond the the Bob Knight era success and, and feed that fan base. It just it wasn't a name initially that was when Archie Miller was bought out for whatever it was, ten plus million dollars. There's always this rapid reaction. And like his name wasn't necessarily one that you said, okay, you bought him out, Like Mike Woodson's the guy. Part of it, I, it will be settling in for people to understand that this is now your head coach. You better get used to it.
0: Right. Um, okay, the last things that we want to talk about. Uh, movies. Have you seen any movies recently? Matt?
1: Penn. Shockingly, yes. Because uh, I have been jacked up post-games like the next two or three days in between. So I watched... I watched. I watched Operation Varsity Blues about the admission scandal.
0: I have not watched that yet. How was it?
1: Okay, it was good. It was interesting. I I knew enough about the story, but what they did was they recreated like the wiretap transcripts with actors. So you kind of had to like be in that world, and then also had the the real life explanations from the people involved, and they kind of paired it together. It was good. It was entertaining. Probably it was like an hour and a half. Could have been half hour shorter because he kept on beating on the same thing but entertaining
0: sure okay um i watched c <laughs> i
1: saw the, i saw that i clicked by that because i watched that and i watched the last blockbuster but i, I saw c that does seem like a, a sam pick a sam's choice on the blockbuster rack
0: it was a laura pick it was not a me
1: pick. <laughs> you're um, already distancing yourself
0: so really important information um Like, all about the fishing industry and how much damage it does to the oceans. Holy fuck, it was the worst documentary I think I've ever seen from a uh, filmmaking perspective in my life. This guy who made this documentary, he needs you to know that he did multiple on-camera interviews with security experts telling him that what he was doing to get this information was life-threatening. Like, he literally... <laughs> yeah. put, literally,
1: the camera literally way, put the camera away. Put the camera away. I saw that yeah, when I was scrolling through. You know, when you're, like, you're over the title, and it does like a 10-second totally. clip. Four, I think four times that you're going to die if you take this film. Put it away.
0: Right. And, like, <laughs> he has to pop that into the thing, like, this, yes, if, if you don't take the right precautions, like, this could be life-threatening. Like, what are you doing? Like, And it looked so like, fucking drawn out, and like, it was staged, and like, this dude was like acting. It was fucking terrible. Uh, like, really important information, like, please, uh, people, Google more information about uh, how the fishing industry causes problems for the sea with pollution and with um, the way that Essentially, we consume food uh, that comes from the sea, but a.k.a. Seafood. Um, but yeah, that documentary was holy shit bad, um, like impressively bad. Um, I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. I don't think I have really. Did,
1: did, you watch, did you watch the last blockbuster yet? I haven't. Is it good? I Yeah, I enjoyed it. Same thing. It probably could have been like a, an hour special about the, the last blockbuster video in Bend, Oregon. Some of the things they hit on really hit close to home, and when you walked into a Blockbuster video, just like the kind of smell of it, and you could physically hold the, the movie you want to, to get, and you go to the new releases, and it's not there, you, you go to the front desk and ask if anyone's returned it. It was a, a little bit of a nostalgia trip, and, and people turned it into that by still going to that last existing brick-and-mortar one in our our digital Netflixy world.
0: All right. So the last segment here is the one where we're, we're introducing it for the first time. So you, I, and a friend of ours who, I don't know, at some point we'll have him pop on the podcast because he's now, like, kind of allowed to do so. Transitioning, um, for, yeah. For, for reasons that we'll talk about at some point. <laughs> um, we have a group text, and we were just, like, throwing out recruiting stories because for people who don't know, like penny's main job uh like how he makes most of the money it's not the sweet sweet podcasting money it's that <laughs> yeah, unfortunately he is, yeah. he's an event organizer on the aau circuit um particularly does a lot of work with under armor right
1: yes that's fair
0: so matt has a lot of great recruiting stories and we're gonna at the end of every podcast just do Recruiting story corner with Matt Penny because oh
1: man, you're you're okay, you're painting. I'm, I'm hard in the corner, but I'm gonna start punching back because I, I gotta keep it, I gotta keep it above board too. But yeah, keep going, right?
0: Right? So, one of the stories he's telling us, um, and it's funny like the our other friend is like Matt's friend more than he's my friend, really. Um, but like we're all like close now, um. So he knew this story and was just like started to tell me, or just they just like started talking in code really, and I was like, "What the fuck are you guys talking about?" <laughs> and then Penny told this story, so Penny, please, it's, I, it's not, you're, you you're
1: building it up like it's a great story. It, it's 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 a yuck, but it's not a, a multiple. Yeah, yuck. so I, it's and, just like funny. And, yeah, it, it's quick. So in in 2011, I started as an intern at Reebok, and at the same time, they were relaunching their All American Basketball Camp which was renamed the Reebok Breakout Challenge. Reebok had signed John Wall in 2010 after being the number one pick in the draft. And John's backstory with Reebok is he drove to an All-American tryout in Chicago, earned an invitation to All-American camp in Philadelphia, goes later in the summer, has a huge week, becomes the number one player in the country. rest is history. So in 2011, they relaunched this breakout camp with John as the face of it. Following that camp, Reebok has this summit for eight high school players at their headquarters. And John is there helping putting kids through drills. Really hands-on, really good. I don't know what was lost in translation, but everyone calls me Penny. Someone shortened it to Penn. Like, hey, Pen, can you go get me a pair of sneakers or whatever? I said, sure. So John must have misheard it and just stored it in his memory. So <laughs> he misheard it and he thought my name was Ben. And as an intern, you don't want to correct like the number <laughs> one pick in the draft. You're, you're, you speak when spoken to, but John's a, a very uh, outgoing person. who will communicate with everybody. So going forward in the gym every morning, he'd yell across the gym, What up, Ben? And I would just return with, What up, John? I, I, just, I, I rolled with it, and that day out, I just became Ben for a summer because I didn't want to tell John Wall, who's this franchise guy at, at Reebok and, and for an NBA team that, like, yeah, dude, my, my name's actually – and, and it was the time also when the the Reebok zig was created which will never go away because that's the ultimate like referee shoe that won't die and <laughs> he also told me that he uh, invented the zigs Said i invented these okay john thanks ben
0: so how, that was it.
1: That, uh, this is just like a little peek into the the craziness and the the stuff you, you deal with over a, a summer with guys
0: how long has he thought your name is ben
1: i don't know i haven't talked to him since but but seeing him again like during that that period there for a couple months thought i was ben and everyone got a good kick out of it and (laughs) it, it had a little bit of legs but luckily i've i've become penny again which is is nice
0: that might be the new intro to the podcast. I'm just gonna go, what up? Ben? <laughs> my
1: friend Ben. Yeah. You know what the the funny thing about names is that he used to be called Jimmy, so he had a t shirt say Jimmy on it, his name was John, so maybe it was just playing into that that theme of it.
0: Oh my god. Penny, uh tell the people where they can find what you've got going on.
1: Oh man. I'm Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Let's ride this NCAA tournament to its conclusion. A lot of a lot of draft stuff obviously upcoming, trying to have some videos when the guys declare Zaire Williams was today. James Book Knight. I'm sure we have more in the the coming days and weeks.
0: All right. So uh, Penny has 1162 Twitter followers now. We need to like. We need to spike that, guys. Come on. Let's uh let's get real. We're
1: good. It. It's a good spike. It's it's about interactions, and engagement.
0: True. That's great. You have a good group right now.
1: Good group. Great people. Yeah.
0: Uh, please go subscribe to the Athletic. Uh, I have written 17 stories this month, and then on top of it, I have another one coming either tomorrow or the next day. Uh, breaking down my top 100 and some performances in the ncaa tournament thus far so keep it locked there uh you literally cannot get more content than what i am giving you right now on the athletic <laughs> my brain is like just genuinely breaking uh every single day so uh please go subscribe to the athletic uh follow me at sam underscore if you don't already but until next time we'll talk soon Uh, And that will be, I think, at some point later this week slash weekend. So uh, until next time, bye.